You know those times in the day when you can't fit in a full podcast? Running out to the store, walking the dog, or washing the dishes? Jam is the new way to listen when you have just enough time for the perfect short audio playlist. Get started at listentojam.com slash podcast and get your daily Jam playlist filled with more voices in less time. With Jam, you can choose from news, parenting tips, wellness advice, and more. Go to listentojam.com slash podcast and satisfy your curiosity with short audio. Discover something new every day. We conquer cancer. For the mom-to-be who is out of treatment options. For the doctor who has a brilliant idea but needs research funding. For the people who faced cancer head-on and climbed incredible heights while they were with us. For the children who celebrate the end of chemo. We conquer cancer for all who have been touched by it. Conquer Cancer accelerates breakthroughs in research and care for every cancer, every patient, everywhere. Join us at conquer.org. Mental Podcast is a show dedicated to individuals and mental health professionals, providing support, information, and some candid conversation along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Michelle and Seth. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mental. We are happy to have you listen in to this episode as I, uh, I wrote 20 pages of notes. Yeah, at least. For this series. <laughs> I, I may have overshot it just, just a little a tiny bit. bit. But now we just have a plethora of information to choose from. Yes, because we're clearly... In the discussion. We're clearly not going to cover all of it. Uh, However, not tonight. (laughs) There is a lot of valuable information in there, and I'm really excited about about this new focus that we have for the month month of May, which is all about religious trauma syndrome. Yes, and I think that's going to be a very juicy conversation. However, (laughs) we got to start with mental minutes. Yeah, you know, it's been a while because last uh, last week's episode was just the interview that you had done. So mm-hmm. we haven't sat down here on Facebook Live for, what, two weeks? Yeah, it's been a hot minute. It's weird. I know. Feels weird. <laughs> so well, you go you? first. What's your mental minute? Uh-oh, uh, you got serious looking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in one of those places where what can I say and what can't I say? I see. Yeah. Oh, that should be interesting then. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I. Uh, there's a lot going on at work right now okay with a major development like implementation of software across the company and as a clinical trainer uh, that's my responsibility to help roll that entire system out however it's kind of like hitting your head up against a brick wall um several times today i think my head hit the desk so i just (laughs) you don't have any bruises that i can i don't know (laughs) they're gonna come up later Unfortunately, I'm bald, so the bruises would easily be seen, but no, uh-huh. no bruises to, <laughs> to report. I did teach a psychologist this week on something that I'm not that confident on, to be honest oh. with you, but uh, I think it went well for the most well, part, so I'm, I'm happy about that. All right. I will be getting my second COVID shot tomorrow Ooh. at 7.15 a.m. Are you nervous? Uh, yeah, because we have 
well, you have two interviews scheduled for Sunday. What do you mean I have? Well, you're bailing we on one have. of them. Well, I'm, yes, I had no choice. Well, okay. Well, I already rearranged. So we oh, have okay. two interviews well, on Sunday. And so I'm just a little nervous on how I'm going to be feeling uh, okay. because I, I typically have a, a pretty, I don't know, what's the right word? Weak immune system. Like I Uh-oh. get sick easily. Did you get sick with the first one? I got a little queasy, but not too sick. So okay. it wasn't horrible. So which but one it, did you get? Uh, the Pfizer. But that's what I got too. How was your second one? If I remember, you know, I, I didn't have any problems whatsoever. My my arm wasn't even as sore as the first one. But I will tell you this: in the last week, and this just occurred to me, in the last week, my hands and feet keep swelling. Oh. In the in the afternoons, but I attribute that to the fact that I sit at a desk and work most of the day. So I thought maybe that was what was, and it's getting warm again. So that very well could be that. The other thing was I was finding myself super tired, and again. That can be described, you know, explained away by the fact that I get up at four in the morning mm-hmm. and I work all day and then I go to the gym in the evenings. But it occurred to me that possibly those could be some symptoms associated with maybe that second shot. I don't know. It's possible. How long was it till you started having those symptoms? A couple days. Mm, that could be the shot. Yeah, it could be because I haven't been as tired the last few days and the and the swelling in my hands and feet has been greatly decreased in the last couple of days as well. So, Yeah. So, I mean, I guess if you're going to have side effects, those weren't horrible. No. But I, I've wasn't... talked to several people who have had horrible symptoms. Yeah. So, well, my oldest know. son got very sick for like 36 hours. Wow. From the second one. So I knew he got sick, but I didn't realize it was for 36 hours. Yeah, he hours. said 36 hours. <laughs> he said it was the worst 36 hours ever. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. Okay, but I'm like better than three weeks. I mean. Yeah, it's true. Let's put it in perspective. So. Yeah. Anyway, so you're nervous, but. It'll be okay. Yeah, well, we'll see. Let's just hope I wake up in time. However, I can't sleep anyhow. So I can talk about that. I have okay. not I have not been sleeping. And well, last night I was up till midnight for the what we're gonna do today. But oh. um, most nights like I like I'm up until midnight, one o'clock. Or if I do fall asleep by like ten, I'm up by four thirty. Yeah. Five thirty. So that has kind of made this week stressful in that I felt like there was a lot demanded of me during from work. Right. And then I'm not getting the sleep. And it was just like, you know. And life is not fun when you're not getting enough sleep. It's so true. It's, it's not. not. It's yeah. It's just not quality. And so mm-hmm. I just kind of feel a little thin, not in mm. weight, but kind of <laughs> like uh, what does Bilbo Baggins say? Too much uh-huh. butter spread over too much bread. You know, I just feel... Oh, okay. I feel, <laughs> That's an apt analogy, but I hadn't heard that before. So. I feel, torn, you know, I'm being yeah. pulled in multiple directions and I just don't well, have the energy. you maybe need to sleep well tonight since you're getting that shot. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully, hopefully COVID will make me sick to the point I'll just sleep through. I was going to say, if you get the excessive fatigue, then you'll yeah. end up sleeping. Right. So. Which could be actually very beneficial. Could be. So, but, and by the way, if you get body aches, I have it on good authority that fish oil pills will help alleviate that. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. From somebody who had COVID, told me as soon as the body aches happened, he started fish oil pills and body and aches were gone out? within a day. Wow. Okay. All right. It's worth a shot. Yeah. No, I mean, not, <laughs> I'm going to be going near, I can get that pretty easily. So. Yeah, that's, those are easy to find. Yeah. So. so fill me in. How are you doing? Well, let me see. It's been a couple of weeks. There's a lot of stuff going on. My book came out, as you know, 
So I'm incredibly, I was incredibly nervous and anxious about that and felt sick to my stomach the whole day on opening day (laughs) because, you know, you're, look, there's a great amount of pressure because every author that works with Choir Publishing has gone bestseller on Amazon (laughs) and I didn't want to be, you know, (laughs) lone standout like, oh, I didn't make it. You're muted, Seth. Did you know that? <laughs> I just had to mute myself to get all the stuff up with the social I know, media. I know. Then but you forgot. <laughs> yes. You didn't. You didn't miss it though. In fact, I think you may have hit four I bestseller hit, yeah. lists. I Not just did, one. One. Just four. Can I we? know. I, yeah. And I didn't know I was even in four categories. I thought I was only in two. So uh, Ralph texted me. The publisher texted me or sent me a message the night the night of the opening, uh, August 27th. And he was like, um, you hit this bestseller. And I was like, in at least one of the categories. Right. And he didn't answer me until the next day, but then he answered and he said, yeah, if so far. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, you know, and then he goes, hold on. What's, what's this? And then he pops up this graphic and he said, you actually hit it in four categories. And it was the, it was the number one new release in Christian counseling and recovery. Which I thought was awesome because that's kind of my focus for my doctorate is, you know, the stuff that we're going to be talking about today. Mm-hmm. So that made me very, very happy. And then my box came today with my books. And so I got to actually hold one of my books today. So that was very exciting mm-hmm. <laughs> and now very daunting because I walked into the gym and like 10 people that know me in the gym are like, oh, my God, congratulations on your book. I bought it. And I'm like, great. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to look these people in the eye after they've read it. <laughs> Yes, you that's, will. That's the next thing that's going to make me sick to my stomach. So It's going to make you sick to your stomach, but it's a good sick to your stomach. I don't because... know. It depends on their on Oh, their come on. <laughs> uh, well, you know I'm a people pleaser. So, oh, I, I mean, do. Yeah. So that kind of is, is daunting to me. To And I told one of the ladies I was speaking to last night in the gym, She, I said, I just said, I'm so worried now that people are going to do that whole, you know, plastic smile like, oh, it was great. <laughs> And she's like, no, I'll just be brutally honest. I'm like, oh, that would be fantastic. I would right. prefer that, actually. Good. So at least I know she will be, so we'll see. But, okay. So that was the biggest news. Uh, I'm excited. Sunday, uh, my daughter and her husband are coming to visit um, from Texas. And I get to announce this now. I don't think I've announced this. Um, oh, you have. Well, I know what you're about to announce. You know, but please, please um, make this announcement. Because, yes, ladies and gentlemen, really cool. this is a, this is a big deal. And it, it really doesn't is. it really doesn't happen that often. So fill no. us in, Michelle. OK, so I have twin daughters. This daughter is the one that lives in Texas is Amanda. And she has been uh, she got pregnant a few years ago and unfortunately lost that one. And, of course, that was very devastating to her. So they began trying again, and they've been trying for two years, and nothing was happening. She was starting to get really stressed out. And she announced, well, she didn't announce, she called me. It's been quite a few weeks ago now. It's been about almost two months ago. She called me and said, Mom, I'm pregnant. And I was like, excellent. You know, that's really exciting news. And then, like, a week later, she she sent me a message, and she said, I need to talk to you can I call you? And I said, well, I'm, I'm, we were recording something. And so I texted her, I said, I'm recording right now. I'm going to the gym. You know, I'll call you when I'm going to the gym. And she said, okay. And so when I got in the car to go to the gym, I called her. And as soon as I heard her voice, I thought, oh, this is big news. And because she's a twin, I said, she's going to have twins. That's, that's going to be the news. And she's like, 
well, mom, they showed us the ultrasound and they pointed out, here's baby A and here's baby B. And I was like, oh, I knew it. And then she goes, and here's baby C. And I went, holy shit. (laughs) And I think for like 10 minutes, all I said was, holy shit. (laughs) Yeah. So they are having triplets. She is now, I believe, 12 weeks. That's pretty good. Because my first question, what's viability look like? Mm -hmm. And she said, everything looked good. But now she's at 12 weeks, all three strong heartbeats. Everybody's uh, got their spot. Yeah, they've got their spot and all the formation is all, they all look the same. Everything's very healthy looking. So I'm really excited. So the plan was that she and her sister were coming here to visit me in July for their birthday. Mm -hmm. But now that she's not going to be able to travel more than likely by then. And so in July, myself and her sister are coming from, she's coming from Washington. I'm coming from Tennessee. We're going to Texas. for their birthday and we're gonna have a a baby shower then and everything but so she's like well i want to see you though so they decided while she can still travel she and her husband are coming to visit me so that's this weekend which i'm really excited about and um looking forward to seeing them so that's my big news that's all my big news well it's big news (laughs) yes very big news, and and really all good things yes very good things so yeah very nice i will be honest i kind of panicked because i tried to be nice to you and realized i may have actually inadvertently hurt your number sales however How? you still made the bestseller list so i'm i feel okay How did about you hurt it. me well i wanted to advertise your book so i told oh, people to pre-order it but fine. it's they have to order it on the day of though on the day in and, order uh, to pre- hit the bestseller, yeah. right pre-orders don't count on right. that opening day number for amazon See, and i didn't um, know that that it's fine, whatever. I mean, books sold are books sold. You know, our our friend Matthew DiStefano told me that. You know, I I was saying I'm so worried, and he goes, "Hey, as long as books sells does sale sell, doesn't it mat doesn't matter really what day it is?" And I said, "Well, no, but you know, there's the threshold I want to hit and everything." Right. Did you? Um, hit and he that was threshold? so funny. Yeah, he called me yesterday, and he's like, "Well, congratulations." And I said, "Oh, thanks. I was so worried and sick to my stomach." And he goes, "What were you worried about?" And I said, "Well." because you know there's this this history with choir and i want to make sure i'm i'm living up to that and he goes well you know i wrote the forward so you were golden i was like oh my bad of course i should have known your name is on it (laughs) i mean i it's hard to find your name without matthew's name in in regards to book (laughs) format well because we've done a couple things together i mean i wrote a forward for one of his books now he's written it for mine and then we wrote a book together we're both in another book that dropped today on uh on amazon on deconstruction so So let's let's for our listeners let's announce what these books are called you know we're just kind of talking you're (laughs) releasing these books but but we should announce the the book you just published on your own through choir and then the other book that you contributed to well my book is called into the gray and it's on religious deconstruction uh, and the psychology and emotion that goes along with that process. So it's not theological necessarily. It's more on the psychology and emotion that that seems to accompany anybody that goes through questioning a deeply held religious belief. So that's mine, Into the Gray. And then the one that just came out today, and it came out on Kindle for only 99 cents. So it's a great deal. Or you can get the book for $9.99. But it's a... a what do you call it when a bunch of authors write something together (laughs) i can't think of the name anyway it's a joint it's a joint project i don't know it's a joint project and it's in response to um another book that came out i think from the gospel coalition i think that's who it was who was discounting the need for deconstruction so this was a project in response 
to that. Wait, no, and... wait. We, can we? I want to rewind. I know you're telling a story, but they, <laughs> the Gospel Coalition. Was I think doing it was them. What? I don't recall. They wrote. A, they wrote. There was some book that was written, and I believe it was them. I could be wrong. That was written on the basically the evils of deconstruction because they're recognizing that it's become a big phenomenon, basically, and so they were speaking out against it. You know that it was dangerous or it wasn't healthy to your religious, you know, to your religious health or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Keith Giles and I, I, I know you know who Keith is. Mm-hmm. Keith uh, approached everybody and said, "Hey, I would like to put forth some kind of response to this. What if we all wrote together? What if we each contributed?" you know, a chapter to this book. So that book is called Before You Lose Your Mind, Deconstruct, Deconstructing Bad Theology in the Church. And so there's quite a few uh, well-known authors on here, Keith being one of them, Derek Day, Mark Karras, uh, Matthew DiStefano. I, the, there's a big list. Um, but each one of us contributed to this book. And it, mm-hmm. it came together really, really fast. Keith edited, and it was released today in response to that. So... That one is just dropped too. So my name is associated with Matthew there as well. I <laughs> know, uh, I know. I saw that come across my Facebook feed yeah. today, and I was like, "All right, like we haven't even talked about this. Like it's all been about your book, but at the same time, you're being published There's in another things, book, yeah. and so yeah. I mean, it's just well. And then Matthew and I have a book coming out. And I think I assume it'll come out sometime this year. I don't know. I don't have timing on that yet. We just finished it, and it's called Learning to Float. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, basically it's a conversation between the two of us regarding Matthew's deconstruction. So I don't know if anybody's catching a theme or not. But <laughs> well, it leads directly into to our subject matter conversation. Yes. So, which uh, is why I was okay with talking about all of that because I know it's going to lead right into this. Well, so. whatever whatever it takes to get you to you know praise yourself just a little bit, <laughs> I'm going to no, take it. No, I don't do that. But uh, yeah, I. <laughs> Part of the reason why I developed 20 pages of notes is because <laughs> I feel as if my co-host is an expert and oh, I no. am not. No, no, I'm not an expert. I am a, a, a traveler on the same road, a sojourner, if you will, with many others. So oh, That that's sojourner that's in the Amazon uh, description of your book, yes. by the yeah. way. I know it is. Matthew wrote that. Did he really? <laughs> he wrote the back of my book for me. I don't know if anybody's picking up or not. Matthew and I are pretty good friends. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. Much to Seth's dismay. Oh, stop, Seth. You know I love you. I love you too, but <laughs> I can't compete. Oh, stop. There's no competition. <laughs> there is always a competition. But no. let's let's talk about religious trauma and religious abuse. But I feel like I should hand this to you. I mean, uh, given... Well, no, you know a lot about it too. You've gone through it. Well, I have, but... You have more, so. Well, I don't know about that, but I talk about it a lot. Yeah, you do. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Well, you know, we're talking about religious trauma syndrome. And of course, this is the next that we're doing in our series on the trauma trials, uh, things that produce trauma in people's lives. And and that effect, you know, we, we had that whole overview of what trauma does to the body, to the mind, to the emotions, uh, to our mental state. And so then we began, of course, going through different situations that would lead to that. And we've, we've handled domestic violence and child abuse, which, of course, were very big, ugly subjects that were difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, to me, is also incredibly damaging because often when we're talking about religious belief, we actually are stepping on the toes of actual identity for people. Yes. 
And so as soon as you start questioning religious belief, you're almost beginning to question your own identity. Mm-hmm. And that can become very confusing. And there's a, and then in addition to that, now as we get into, that's the deconstruction part. But what we're talking about as far as trauma is religious trauma. In other words, something that has been inflicted upon you from an outside source yes. in conjunction with your religious belief. Mm-hmm. And so it, it can be very damaging. But as you and I have discussed, and I think we've mentioned before, this this syndrome is not included in the diagnostic manual. Correct. And it actually, I believe, should be. I think Cur- it's on its way. I think there's I so. enough. I mean, honestly, go on to anyone who's interested. Go on to Google Scholar and just type religious trauma syndrome and look at how many articles come yes. up. It's becoming very prevalent. Very prevalent. And given that rate and the increase, one, of people finding out about it, and two, people being like, oh my gosh, that is me, right. uh, is is off the charts. So I, I really think that we're going to be seeing it in the DSM before. Right? I think so too. I think what it's going to take, though, is not just articles about it, but it's going to take an actual study. Yes. Um, that... that or maybe several that can actually start pointing to actual trauma that's happening in p- to people and in people's lives based on this. And once we have some data to back it up, I really feel like that will push that issue a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Of course, as it's not currently in the DSM, the only thing that we can liken it to and that it's most closely likened to is complex PTSD. Yes. Um, which is of course, you know, PTSD is a, you know, an event that is traumatic for somebody. Complex PTSD is an is an ongoing cycle of events. Mm-hmm. So like ongoing domestic abuse, abuse or child abuse or whatever. Um, or in this case, sitting in church every week being told that you are less than human and are destined for hell. That's a lot. There's a lot of hell and damnation preached at people, which can actually produce a lot of trauma to your own self-worth. Mm-hmm. And an existential crisis, quite honestly, because you are constantly worried that you are not living up to some level that you need to meet so that you don't burn in hell forever. So, yes. And so I'm going to take a step back really quickly. I'm going to try not to just repeat what you said, but I'm going to (laughs) take, but you know, you've got the big words and and the books and and the things. And so I'm going to get, I'm going to take a shot at this. (laughs) This entire theory or what are we what are we calling it? I mean, it's not it's not in the DSM. It's not a disorder. It's a syndrome. I mean, it's, it's a syndrome. Yeah. So religious trauma syndrome was actually created or the coined, not created, coined by Dr. Marlene Winnell. And she describes religious trauma syndrome as the condition experienced by people who are struggling with leaving an authoritarian, dogmatic religion and coping with the damage of indoctrination. They may be going through the shattering of personally meaningful faith and or breaking away from a controlling community and lifestyle. And so in this approach, Dr. Winnell really identified a lot of the ways in which religion has been abusive. Right. And this is coming up as people are stepping away from the church. They're stepping away from their faith. These things are being identified. However, they're still taking place. So whether yes. or not you are, uh, you know, a very devout follower in whatever faith you are, or or if you've stepped away, this is applicable because it paints a picture and shines a light on the way in which religion and and religious practices can be damaging. Right. And again, you know, this is something that it 
as we said, it's not in the diagnostic manual, but I think you and I even had this discussion the other day that, again, this is something that will exist on a spectrum. Yes. And, and the example that we used was narcissistic personality disorder. There are certain criteria that must be met for you to actually be diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. However, if you don't meet that standard of diagnosis, it doesn't mean that you don't have narcissistic tendencies and that right. you're somewhere on the spectrum. Well, the same is true here. So your experience is valid. Your experience, while maybe not meeting some certain level of criteria for a syndrome, actually can still be damaging to you. Because again, with everything in mental health, we're talking about things that are very subjective in nature. Mm -hmm. And so very personal. So one, you know, so when I wrote what happened to me in church, I even prefaced it and said, you know, this doesn't really meet the standard of being abusive, but it was to me. Right. You know, and so I don't know that I should have put that codicil on there because it actually was abusive to me. But somebody else who has suffered something far worse would go, yeah, that's nothing. But I think we have to be very careful not to do that. We have to validate everyone's experiences because if it produces trauma or hurt in you, then it is a valid expression of trauma. Right. And and the thing, you brought this up earlier, but whenever we talk about religion, it gets complicated because it really comes down to identity. And, yes. and people relate their faith very differently from one yes. another. Yes. Very. Di- and, and it has meaning. Religion kind of pulls into those parts of our lives full of meaning and then attributes that. And so when we start to question that, it gets complicated. And it's easy to then see with things so impactful in our lives how that can then turn on us. Absolutely. Um, Some things I want to mention, though, since it isn't in the dias, since it isn't (laughs) in the DSM-5, We don't have a cluster of these are what you have to meet. Like that doesn't even exist at this point. At this point, we're really just looking around and asking questions like, is this actually resulting in things? And so when we talk about, you know, comparing, am I going to meet that or not? You don't really need to worry about that. Exactly. (laughs) You really just need to worry about, hey, do I think that my faith or my religion has impacted me in a negative way? Well, that was my point is that I think we have to validate everyone's experiences because we don't have that. But even if we had that diagnostic criteria, I still think everybody's experiences are valid, Mm -hmm. you know, and so we have to be very careful to not judge it on that level, but to just really look at the person and the effect on them personally as to whether we're looking at damage or not. Right. So, yeah. Well, where do you want to start here? Where do you want to go? I, I mean, I have so many pages of notes. I know. I don't, I don't really know <laughs> where to begin. I, okay, let's look at a cluster of potential symptoms or I don't okay. know. You want to call symptoms these symptoms? Or, yeah. I don't know if symptoms is the right word, but okay, let's use that word. Just because I mean, I'm going familiar. with it. Yeah. yeah. So some symptoms commonly experienced by people suffering from religious trauma syndrome. Let's take this one at a time, back and okay. forth. Okay. Okay. So confusing thoughts and reduced ability to think critically. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because there's the underlying need to, you, you tend to rely on the religious leaders, if you will, for your information. There's no, yeah. there's not a whole lot of personal study. And if there is personal study, it's still often done through the lens of what you're being taught through your religious leader. Mm-hmm. So critical, critical thinking kind of goes away. There's not a whole lot of that that I've seen in people anyway. So... Sheep. You, huh? <laughs> sheep. Sheep. Not a lot of leaders. <laughs> we just follow. <laughs> We're just sheep. Yeah. But um, the next one is negative beliefs about self, others, and the world. That one's huge. 
I mean, us versus them. Like yes. we are taught. Not of this, this world. We're not of this world. And therefore, I mean, I was taught some very negative things about people. Like we don't Absolutely. associate with those people or we don't spend time with those people or it's bad. The world is bad. Money is bad. Everything is bad. Everything is evil. And we right. kind of retreat into our little, you know, shelters. Well, and that's tough enough, but then it goes even deeper than that because it touches you personally. You're nothing but filthy rags. You are a sinner. You are, you know, worm, you know, worm food in the dirt. I mean, there's a lot of really negative things that are said about us personally. And so that has a deep effect on us, especially as from a child, from childhood, if you're taught this, Mm -hmm. your self-esteem is in the dirt because you, you don't feel like you're worth anything. And then they'll try and cushion it later and say, but you were worth, you know, Jesus dying. Well, great. So I caused some guy to die. <laughs> I'm so awful. Right. <laughs> you know, so there, and does there he is really a lot love of, me. Right. So there's a lot of negative self-esteem that goes along with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's taught and it's, it's taught as a virtue, which is really damaging. Like you have to think badly of yourself or you're just not Christian enough. That's damaging. You need to be humble, Michelle. Yeah. Humble. I know. Hey, Humility. <laughs> That's one I, I struggle greatly with because, you know, when you're good at something or you do something well, you you want people to know. You want to feel good about what you've done. And yet here's this indoctrination that says, no, that's not humble. You're not allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's I, str- I my therapist said this to me. I had a therapy appointment today. She said this to me today. I said something about a compliment I got. And she goes, and you just said thank you. Right. And I said, actually, I had to catch myself. I started correcting the person about what I still needed to work on. And the look that went across the woman's face, I went, oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. (laughs) But that's what it does. It teaches us that we can't accept those kind of compliments because that's not humble. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's sad. We don't want to be prideful. No, exactly. Pride goeth before a fall. Mm -hmm. What about troublemaking decisions? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, rapture theology alone will have you having a hard time making decisions because you never know when Jesus is going to show up. So should I go to school or should I not? Mm -hmm. Should I, you know, should I accept a new job or should I not? I mean, what should I be doing? Because I don't know. And what if, what if it's not God's will? What if I'm doing my own thing? Mm -hmm. You know, it's terribly upsetting to try and wrestle with those thoughts. And I just had a really interesting thought. So that's so true. But then on the exact opposite, we also have people that, well, I don't want to say people that I, growing up, <laughs> all right, would would pray to God and, and thank God if I if I got a parking spot. Right. right? Yes. Right. Or like if I could get to like Chipotle before the rush. Yes. I'm and blessed it, and favored was, by God. Blessed and highly favored. He's Absolutely. looking out for me. Praise the Lord. I just, you know, that is an interesting yeah. dichotomy. Well, again, and that also sets it up that apparently God is pretty shallow because if he's worried about parking spots and who got to Chipotle first, when people are starving on the other side of the world, I- I'm not sure there's any, any ethics in that. Exactly. Or morals in that. <laughs> so, there isn't. Yeah. So that, that brings up a lot of questions then about a deus ex machina kind of God. Mm-hmm. You know, if I just act well enough, I'm going to get the favor of God. Well, that means God can be bought. Exactly. So, yeah. He's like a vending machine. Yeah, that Deus Ex Machina is a bubblegum machine. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, next one: feelings of depression, anxiety, grief, anger, or lethargy. <laughs> the church is rife with all of that, by the way. <laughs> check, 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 check. Yeah, I mean, again, I think that 
when we and we're specifically talking about I mean you might be talking about religion in general and specifically Christianity but right. I'm thinking of the more strict forms of religion right it's it's a whole culture and environment that we're not yes. good enough again I'm just repeating you now but it's we're not good enough so it's easy to feel depressed anxious because we're constantly Absolutely. worried and we're not feeling like we're going to measure up and God's going to lay down the hammer tomorrow that's right that's right. And we never Well, know. and not only that, but we've talked about this in the past, that those same things are actually demonized in the church. And when I say demonized, I mean that. I mean, they're told you're told that that's a product of demonic oppression in your life, and you just need to pray that stuff away. So there, there's no need for mental health treatment because God's the healer. And so you have thousands of people in the church who are suffering from these kind of mental health issues that won't accept help because that would be a, a slight to their faith so to speak. So uh, there's a lot of problematic issue with that. All right. How about a sense of feeling lost, directionless, and alone? Uh, I think I think that fits a lot of things, not necessarily just a religious deconstruction, but it's certainly there within it. Mm-hmm. You know, you, I, I know when I started questioning and, you know, I started taking, you know, heat for that, I did feel very alone. It was very... Um, it was very validating to me to find a community that was su- that was suffering from the same thing, even though I hated that they were. I felt validated. I felt heard right. that I wasn't the only one that was experiencing this. So mm-hmm. it's well, and, I mean, we're really looking. These are symptoms of religious trauma syndrome, which is likely right. be, when you started questioning, yeah, or not feeling as confident, and therefore you may be ostracized by the community or the right. Absolutely, friends, and I was ostracized. Right? I was kicked Who, out. So. Right. Well, <laughs> there you have it. Yeah, there you have it. So now this next one's literally one of the symptoms of depression. So they have depression in one of the lists, and then they define depression. Um, yeah. <laughs> a lack of pleasure or interest in things you used to enjoy. I mean, I think that's pretty clear, especially if you were deeply involved in the faith and you were in all these activities and doing all these things, and now you aren't doing anything. Yeah. Well, you've yeah, because most often that means you've lost your community. Exactly. And you have that social aspect is now missing in your life. And and so for some of us, some of us introverted people, that was actually kind of a relief. Um, but for most people who are not introverted, I mean, most people are not introverted. So um, I, I think there's a very big hole there because they're missing that social outlet that that church actually provided or that they're right. whatever religious gathering you know, that provided. Now, my contention was that those were kind of lazy relationships often because they were convenient. You saw one another once a week or however often you went. So they weren't not necessarily real relationships. Now, I know somebody's going to have a problem with that. I'm not saying everybody's like that. I'm just saying that that's still prevalent. Right. Well, they're they're acquaintances. They aren't your best friends. Yes. And even if you, even if like me, you thought they were, Mm-hmm. And then suddenly your persona non grata. I mean, it's it's very telling very quickly that oh, these were not actually do or die friends. Right. These and these were pass along the way friends. Um, towards the end of this interview, we're actually going to share lived experience by right. Laura and Carl Forehand, and Laura talks about that uh, in depth um, about feeling like she was essentially given the cold shoulder, and yeah. people pretended they didn't know her anymore. Right. Yeah, it's terribly harmful, and it's very hurtful. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's, and you, it's, again, if you're talking to people who have rejection issues anyway, <laughs> this just exacerbates that. So anyway, and we just talked about this, a loss of community, family, friends, romantic relationships, what have you. Um, that's a part of this process, again, because uh, 
and I'm speaking specifically to Christianity, I think deconstruction can actually happen from any closely held religious belief. It doesn't have to be Christianity, but that's my tradition. So that's what I'm speaking to. You, you lose those relationships because those people begin to feel as though you are a danger to their faith and God has to come first. So they have to cut you off. Mm-hmm. And so that t- typically tends to be the reason for those breaks in relationships. The other is I think that often when we start asking questions, we scare people. Yes. Because if they if they have to acquiesce to one of our questions and say, "Well, you may have a point there," then they're then they're afraid there's going to be more. Right. And where does it end? Mm-hmm. You know, so it becomes problematic for them. So I don't know that it's necessarily always I need to break this relationship because of acrimony. I think it's more that it's a protective instinct. I have to protect my faith. Mm-hmm. You know, which then of course leads to you feeling like shit. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. Well, I'm actually going to go ahead. I'm going to skip forward. Okay. And I want to spend some time. We're, we're going to listen to the four hands here in a little bit. Spend some time discussing maybe the things that you might want to look out for. Things that might be a sign that you're experiencing religious or spiritual abuse. Okay. Because at the very foundation of religious trauma syndrome is the ways in which the church can be abusive. Right. And how that impacts us. And so I developed some some information that I think would be really helpful for us to go over. And so I want to talk about it's possible that you've experienced religious or spiritual abuse if you have been told to not question religious leadership. Touch not the anointed of God. How often have we heard that? I mean, I have. Constantly. It's usually told by the person in charge that's usually the one telling us that we're not allowed to touch what they say (laughs) Mm -hmm. so it's uh yeah you're not allowed to disagree you're not allowed to question you're not allowed to suggest that they could be wrong and if you do suggest that they might be wrong the typical response is that suddenly you are the problem absolutely yeah projection back (laughs) Mm -hmm. It redirection turns around really quick. Yeah, redirection. <laughs> no, it's just that you are messed up. You don't have enough faith. You it's gaslighting. It's it's what mm-hmm. it is. So it and and suddenly you do. You begin to question yourself like, "Oh, maybe I am wrong. Maybe, you know, maybe I am thinking about this incorrectly." I mean, I, all along the way I questioned myself constantly. So, yeah. That's a it's a hard one. Mhm. <laughs> You have felt confused, used, and exploited. So things along this are like, have you ever had conversations with religious leaders or religious people that have left you feeling confused and disoriented? I cannot tell you how many pastors I went to when I was like battling with same-sex attraction, like seeking guidance, and I got double-sided answers to almost everything. I'm sure. And I never got a clear answer and I was completely confused because there didn't seem to be a path in which God could love me and accept me at the same time. Right. Well, at the same time saying that he always loves me and died for me, it gets confusing. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Well, and also if you feel uh, feeling regularly confused in any family institution or organization is not normal, there mm-hmm. you're not allowed to feel confused because doubt, I mean, doubt is a no-no. You know, read James. Doubt is a no-no. It's not acceptable, except that I think it is Doubting a very Thomas. healthy. Yeah, I think it's a very healthy part of our religious journey. Doubt is definitely a part of it. You know, I mean, 
you know what? Jesus did not chastise Thomas for doubting. He gave him exactly what he needed to believe. Mm -hmm. You need to touch the wounds. Here they are. Put your hands in there. But blessed are those that can believe without that. Yeah, it's better to not doubt for sure. But doubt is absolutely an authentic thing that is happening within this. So when you're told that, you know, confusion and doubt is wrong. Yeah, that's probably a, a sign that you're not under some good leadership. Right. And can we just now again, you're speaking specifically of doubt. Mm, yeah, there's doubt, more to it. Yeah. Doubt and questioning go the same to me, kind of, because if you're questioning, it kind of brings up doubt. If you have doubt, you might sure. question and look at Job. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's what I'm saying. The Bible gets kind of, it's hard. To, depending on what you're reading, you're going to get a different answer. Well, again, it was written by how many different people over how much time in how many different cultures. I mean, let's be realistic about the, the text that we're using. We You can have knowledge about the Bible. You can have read it 15 times straight through. But the reality is you're still reading it through the lens that you understand, not necessarily right. the way in which it was intended. Mm-hmm. And I think that people get very tied up with that thought and think that that's wrong for me to say that. But that's just the truth. Recognize your own blind spots. Right. You have them. Mm-hmm. So, so you might, it's possible you've experienced religious or spiritual abuse if you've been told not to trust yourself. That's, that's very damaging, by the way. Yeah, I've been told that a few times. Have you really? Yeah. Um, I think we all have to some degree. Yeah, and I don't, I don't. I mean, and I don't think it has to be within a religious institution for you for that to occur. No, but uh, that could happen anywhere. But when it's tied to to religion and it's tied to faith in Jesus and your Savior, sorry, it right. could be any. It could be any faith. Technically, it does not have to be Christianity. Whoever right. your deity would be, um, <laughs> your deity. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. Whoever that might be there's so much meaning attributed to it so when you're told not to trust yourself it gets really the path forward is very uncertain and it makes you feel like you don't have value right you know it's funny in my book i actually wrote i know you read it so you you may remember this but my daughter was experiencing something where she was going to be going to india Mm -hmm. and she really felt confused and not sure that that's what she should be doing and when she brought the subject up to our pastor and said i'm not sure if if this is what god wants us to do his response was i heard from god that this is what he wants us to do and so it is the right thing so in Mm -hmm. other words you don't need to listen to your own intuition your own thoughts your own feelings i've already i've already consulted god for us so again that that's problematic because that yeah. is teaching her that her own feelings and thoughts and relationship with God is is inaccurate. Mm-hmm. That's that's very harmful. Agreed. Yeah. It's possible that you've experienced religious spiritual abuse if you have left a religious institution and as a result you have lost relationships and or been punished in some way. Holy shit. <laughs> Does that, does that? Oh my God. You? Oh my God. It does amuses that... me now. It was terribly painful. I lost every single one of my friends. Just gone. No contact. No care or concern. And if I did happen to see them, I got the plastic smile of like, oh, how are you? Mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 and in, in writing about that, I, the stories that came to me that, ha- that happened to people were infuriating. And how badly they were treated by people that swore they loved them. Right down to family members. Friend right now that's going through this where family members have turned their backs completely. Cut off all communication. 
what said, was, we'll have nothing to do with you. What was the primary? Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to share that because it's somebody we're going to talk to and I'm sure he's going to bring it up. Okay. So, um, so that probably will be included in, in another episode, but, mm-hmm. but again, that goes back to the idea of relationships being destroyed. Right. And also, can I just, I want to just touch on that fakeness, right? Like the, <laughs> just the, the fake at the same time, you may also have experienced religious or spiritual abuse if openness and transparency have been demanded of you. So other people can be fake. Other people can, you know, give you that, you know, not recognize or, or give you proper respect, but that's not allowed for you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Different uh, rules for different people. Well, yeah. And it, it, I don't know. I have so much that can be said there. Let's let's just keep going. <laughs> okay. I mean, all of these are gold. Like, honestly, one of these could be an entire episode. A- so. Absolutely. Because there's so... there, And we could have hundreds of people that would want to talk about it because so many yeah. have experienced many of these. Mm-hmm. The next one, though, is, is, is very upsetting. And it is something that we hear a lot about in the church, which is terribly traumatic on a couple different levels. But... It's possible you've experienced religious or spiritual abuse if you've experienced sexual advances by your religious leadership. Now, in one of our previous lived exam- uh, lived experiences, we heard about that. We, you know, mm-hmm. we heard about a child being touched inappropriately by leadership within the church while they were getting baptized. Yep. So, I mean, there this is happening more and more. You know, I don't know if you saw this today, and I don't know. I don't know that he's actual church leadership. Did you see in the news today? Um, what's his name? Shane Shane Duger. Oh, Duggar. Du- is it Doug? I don't know how to pronounce it. Anyway, his wife is pregnant with baby number seven, and he just got arrested for having child pornography. Really? I mean, yes. I've seen the name, but I haven't like read the article to find out what yeah. it was all about. He was just investigating. Was just arrested for child pornography for having it. So again, you're you're talking about a lot of sexual deviancy that's going on within the church itself. And it's kind of pushed under the rug. I mean, again, I don't want to upset anybody, but let's just be real here. The, the Catholic church has had a long history of problematic stuff going on with sexual abuse and priests acting inappropriately, you know, or that's what we hear about the most. I don't know if nuns do or what, but, but that tends to get, you know, kind of slid under the rug or they just get moved instead of having to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. So it definitely so that's going to cause trauma on a, on a few levels. Of course, that's sexual abuse, child abuse. That's now religious abuse. So you're just heaping on, you know, these these abusive things that are damaging somebody. Just piles on. Yeah, it really does. So you may have experienced religious spiritual abuse if you have not been allowed to show negative emotions. <laughs> yeah, Doggone I'm just it. I'm just going to keep I'm just going to run through these because there's several yeah, of these. So. A lot. You may have experienced religious or tra- uh, religious or spiritual abuse if you learn to be motivated by guilt and shame. Oh, damn, that's that's Christianity 101. I was going to say. So like within that, have you agreed to do things you didn't want to do because you would feel ashamed or feel um, you would feel shamed or you'd feel shame personally if you refused? Yeah. And have you given more than you were? able oh. and possibly even hurt yourself in the process <laughs> oh because God. you would feel guilty and frowned upon by God if you gave less. Do you know how many people have talked to me and told me that they tithed because they were told that it was a matter of faith and they were having to pay their bills on their credit cards because mm-hmm. they were giving their cash to the church. They didn't they couldn't afford it. Yeah, that's not that's not Yeah, it's wrong. 
<laughs> I don't think even if the pastor knew that, I would hope that he wouldn't be okay with that. Mm, I'm gonna tell you from personal experience that uh, they don't there's care. a whole teaching that goes along with that because we actually made a converse had a conversation about that we were splitting up our tithe and giving it to different organizations, and that was frowned upon. No, your whole tithe has to come into the into the storehouse. It doesn't matter. It, it it you you can that's extra that's offerings, but your tithe has to come into the storehouse. So I think that there are plenty of people that believe that you know yes you sacrifice to that level well the next one goes right along with this because yeah. <laughs> you may have experienced religious or spiritual abuse if loyalty and forgiveness were demanded of you so speaking yes. of loyalty yes so it doesn't matter <laughs> doesn't matter how much money you have it's coming to us that's right that's right and you will you will defend the people in this church against others you will defend god even when there's questions, again, which goes back to the idea of people separating themselves because they have to. That's a loyalty issue to God. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. What about you have felt pain or a traumatic response when coming in contact with religious people, places, or things? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> okay. Well, if you've been kicked so out of that... church and you run into them in town, it's a pretty uncomfortable <laughs> event. So. Well, I mean, I truly... I haven't been inside of a church in a long Me time. Either. And I uh I don't think I'd do very good at it. Yeah. Um in fact if I drive by some churches back home, I have a, a visceral response. Yes. I yeah. um it, it's uh it's a PTSD response is what it is. It is. It's complex PTSD and religious trauma syndrome is, is closely tied to that. Do you do you have reactions to worship music? Yes, in yes. fact, I actually made a Facebook post about it a couple oh, months ago, and then another Christian. Oh, that's right, that's right. And then, and then, like a girl that I went to high school with, who was I like, remember all in like speaking in tongues and stuff. She was like, Seth, I think that was God speaking to you, but guys." I was listening to like like Miley Cyrus or something like some like hip hop music. I don't wasn't paying attention, and then all of a sudden. It was worship music playing, and I was go- like, I was singing with the hip hop music, and then I kept going, and I think I was three. <laughs> I think I was three songs in till Before I realized, I <laughs> holy cow! What and then I, I started having responses. I was like, hi, what? Do you have oh, responses around music? Uh, well, I love music. Music, of course was the way I heard God for years and years and I was a worship leader and you know for years and and so yeah I have a visceral reaction now my reaction tends to come from the fact that there's a lot of faulty theology in worship songs and having done a lot of studying now and and looking at the way we really have seen God and the you know and questioning is that how God really is some of that worship music I can't listen to anymore I will admit there are people that can sing that will still draw the emotion from me through worship music and I will miss that sometimes I will miss that feeling of connectivity Mm -hmm. um but yeah most of the time I'm just not down with the theology anymore that's available within the worship songs so but again yes it does often bring back times within the church I also cannot go into a church because I have a I have a resting bitch face. <laughs> RBF? <laughs> yes. When I go to church, I sit there with this look on my face like, please. <laughs> and I have a very expressive face. So if they say something I don't agree with, I'm like. <laughs> Are you serious? Really? <laughs> yeah. So that's not the main reason I don't go anymore, but that's one of them. So you may have experienced religious, spiritual abuse. If due to the religious abuse, you feel like your foundation for life's meaning or ultimate truth has been destroyed. 
Well, I think that that's what really there. is the most difficult part of deconstructing is that it does, it takes you apart piece by piece, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we've talked about this before, but the, this deconstruction is happening on a spectrum where you may just be questioning one or two tenets of your religious belief, or you may have moved on to actually questioning God. And then there's eventually you getting to really taking yourself apart mm-hmm. and how difficult that is because... Again, especially within Christianity, you are taught that your your identity as a Christian is a core identity. So if you suddenly are questioning the tenets of Christianity, what does that say about your identity? Suddenly you're right. lost. You don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. And that's very, it's very emotional and it's very damaging. So that's, this is one I think, um, you know, some of the things you've, you have here, physically shaking, struggling to breathe. Uh, people have panic attacks over this. I had panic attacks. Yeah. Um, inexplicably angry that happens every time somebody shares a story with me in which there was an abusive situation i'm so angry i want to throw things again you already know this my contention is this is grief mm-hmm. and that's what's happening all of that's a part of grief so well and now i want to shift the conversation because okay. i think it we, we've covered a lot of ground here and i now want to take this and i want to make this real life okay so let's share some lived experience let's do that our guests we sat down with are Carl and Laura Forehand. They're very good friends of ours. Seth has known them a large majority of his life. Um, yes. They're newer friends to me, but I love them both. And But they were, they were pastors for quite a long time. And one of the things that I think is unique about speaking with them, and I actually shared this with them, is that when we're usually talking about deconstruction or trauma from religious, you know, trauma, we're talking about the perspective of the people sitting in the pews, if you will, and, and problematic leadership. Well, in this case, they were the leadership and they were struggling with questions and, and feeling confused. So I think it's a very unique perspective that, that we often forget about as we're struggling with our own thoughts and questions. So, yeah, I wanted, I wanted Michelle to kind of do that intro so that I could have a moment to get it all set up here. Um, <laughs> this wasn't quite long enough. But let's talk. I want to mention in, in regards to Carl and Laura they were my pastors. So, um, and it's, it's kind of strange because, um, I know them personally and then Carl started podcasting and then I started like kind of piggybacking off of that and then kind of found Michelle Collins and then kind (laughs) of made her my co-host. So I actually owe Carl forehand for my relationship with my co-host, Michelle Collins, which is actually kind of a, a funny story in and of itself. But, um, they, were pastoring our church for I think about a year before I I ended up um, leaving. However, there was a lot of stuff that happened there that I didn't know about. And I think in hearing their story, the thing that really surprised me, the thing that really stood out that I hadn't really contemplated was the impact that all of this has had on Laura. Yeah. Were you surprised by any of that? Um, I think I think typically because of you know, how patriarchal the the Christian church is, we often forget that women are serving alongside. And so, yeah, when we we think about pastors, we typically are thinking about men, but their wives are are pastoring as well. Um, They may not carry the title, if you will, but they are actually doing a, a, a fair share of work in the church themselves. And there's a huge expectation on both to, to fulfill some kind of role that we've defined, you know? And so the, Laura actually, I think, kind of felt pushed into the background a little bit mm-hmm. and and was struggling with her place anyway, if I remember previous conversations with her. Um, so, yeah, very, very 
it hurts my heart for her because I know that has to be very difficult. I'm, I'm very loud and brash. So, you know, if I'm going to get my point across, but I know women that are quieter in, especially in religious situations, typically tend to suffer in silence, if you will. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's tune in um, and hear a bit of Laura's story. And I think you lose yourself mm-hmm. because if you're continually changing or becoming that chameleon in whatever your, your new church place is, then eventually if you keep trying to fit in, I just, I think you lose yourself. Right. I know when, when we finally walked away from church, that was my biggest concern, I guess, was who am I? Mm. I mean, I, I didn't know anymore what I believed, you know, what I thought about God. I just knew I was very angry. I was very angry, but that's all I knew. Like, because we had been, or I had been, I'll speak for myself. I had been trying to be whatever everybody else in the church wanted me to be that I had no idea who I was. And I would also say with my experience that I don't want to put all the blame on church, but I feel the culture of the church was really ripe for a person like me because so much of what I took into church from my, from my past, kind of like Carl was talking about Mm -hmm. just growing up in, in a shame culture, having a dad who was emotionally and many times physically absent Mm -hmm you go into a church with that kind of trauma from your childhood and you've got women in the church who just one Sunday decide they're not going to talk to you anymore. And so then again, you try to fit in, what am I doing wrong? How can I change who I am so that these, these women will like me again? I mean, it's very, it makes me, it, it makes me emotional because it makes me think of myself as this little girl who was just really, Um, wanting someone, wanting people to love her and wanting God to love her. But, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't get a sense of God, even in, in the church. And, And that could have something to do with my dad not being around. I don't know. But what I'm saying is a lot of my trauma came from my childhood, but the church culture absolutely exacerbated that for me. Yeah. I feel like that kind of went right along with everything that we've been talking yeah. about. Yeah. And again, I, I think, you know, she was suffering in silence through a lot of that. Again, trying to fit in. And and she's she's talking about that from a perspective of trying to fit in with people. But we do that re- regardless. We do that into the, into the religious system itself. We're mm-hmm. trying to fit in to be accepted. And, you know, never mind the people within that system. So we're already, we're already programmed for that kind of thing that we have to, we have to look a certain way, act a certain way, speak a certain way to be acceptable. And then we had other people's expectations. And on top of that, and certainly if you're a people pleaser, this becomes very, um, very hurtful because you're never going to meet everybody's expectations. And so the very people within a religious system that are supposed to be the closest relationships tend to end up being the ones that are the, that hurt you the most along the way. So following right along in that path. This next clip is going to start with you, uh, Michelle, um, in, in talking about that uh, chameleon of chameleon, that's the yeah. word I'm trying to say, um, effect. I'm really right. looking at the psychological uh, defense mechanism, um, being an actor on a stage. 
but then Carl speaks in right along with this idea of just trying to constantly meet people's expectations, which part of this is being a pastor. Because yes, understand, of you know, a lot of what we've talked about is how to identify abuse as as, you know, someone in the pews. And, and we're actually speaking to a to a pastor and his wife in this lived experience story. So it's, it's flipped a little bit. But I, I did find this clip to be um, it, I, not something I typically think about. So let's tune in. It, what's interesting is hearing both you and Carl, I, I hear those rejection issues and I key in on that because I have that same issue. And so that so chameleon effect, yeah, we all do. That chameleon effect is basically a defense mechanism against rejection. Yeah. You're trying to fit in so that you're acceptable so that they don't reject you. So that's what's happening. It's a psychological subconscious defense mechanism. Yes. Um, but you're right. It leaves you not knowing who you actually are. And I have said over and over throughout my life that, especially now within the last six or seven years, that I feel like the majority of my life, I was an actor on a stage and I was just playing whatever role was necessary in that moment. And when I came off that stage, I didn't know who I was yeah. and what I wanted or who I liked or mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't know. And then when you lose God on top of it for a while, right, it does yeah. mess you up. Mm -hmm. It does. And you're right. And, and Laura, I totally resonate with the idea of, of trying to please God, mm -hmm. trying, trying to find that ground where you know, you're acceptable to God because we're, we're keying in on that relationship the same way we do with the other relationships. Yeah. We're trying to be good enough. Right. And, and I think, I think all of us, the majority, you know, now have an understanding of that's not the right way to view God. Right. Um, I think I'm still working on that. I am I too. <laughs> wish, I wish I could say that I had a totally different um, picture or vision of, of God, but I can't say that. I can't say that with any kind of um, certainty, if you will. So yeah, that's, that's part of my story mm -hmm. that I'm still working on. And hopefully I'll one day understand a little bit better, but it's all an evolution. Yeah. I mean, I, right. you know, we don't like that word in Christendom, you know, evolution, but the reality is that we are constantly changing. We are constantly learning. And mm -hmm. then that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that we're supposed to understand the totality mm -hmm. of God now. I just don't yeah. think we can. Yeah. You know, so getting comfortable with understanding that if God is supposed to be love, then he's going to be love and acceptance, regardless of how ignorant yeah. I am. That's at, a good point. At, at least that's time, the hope. <laughs> At the same time, the church can use that very same kind of doctrine to bypass all of our searching. Say, I need to understand, you know, it's okay. Just don't, don't even, you know. It, God is too big for us to understand, and, and we can bypass that. And that's, I think that's what happens even to pastors, is, is they settle for, well, this is what I know, and this is what I'm comfortable, and this is what everybody else is comfortable with, by the way. So don't, just don't even worry about it right now. So there, there's all sides to that, right? Well, you, you also have, and I, and again, this is something I've said for a long time too. There's an unfair expectation on pastors. You are the answer men. You're supposed mm -hmm. to know all the answers. That's the expectation of, of a parishioner looking at a pastoral figure. They want them to know the answer. So you have the stress and pressure on you again, which leads to maybe becoming very dogmatic in your stance. And so when you're suddenly put into the place of having questions, yeah. that's a big problem. Yeah. You know, I mean, I can think of a couple pastors. One that comes to mind immediately is Rob Bell. Mm -hmm. I mean, he lost his church when 
Yeah, like he started asking questions. So, and yeah, I think a lot of pastors. Well, have. he asked some pretty big questions. Published yeah, a book and made a lot of money with yeah, it. Yeah, I understand, but I'm just saying. Yeah, you're supposed to have the that, answers, so. but you need to have the answers within what we can accept, within some guidelines. Again, those guardrails of what we can handle. You can't go from A to C. You have to go from A to B. Maybe I can consider B, but I can't consider C. And so I can't, I may execute you for going to C or D and challenging at that level. So yeah, it's just an impossible situation. We want you to lead us, but only in a certain way. Interesting take. Well, and that's why I said this perspective is important because it is a different kind of experience when you're on the other side of the pulpit experiencing your own questions and, and you're doing that kind of publicly. Cause that's what Carl said. You know, he would bring his questions into what he was preaching and immediately you're going to get pushback. You know, mm-hmm. one of the, one of the phrases that comes to mind to me and a lot of people use this in reference to the church is the old guard. You have people that are very much entrenched into their religious idealism and anything that steps outside of those bounds, like he's saying, you know, is, is, reason to cut you off is a reason to stop you because they're not comfortable with it. So it's one thing to be sitting in the pew and have a question, you know, and be struggling with it. But it's it's certainly another to stand on the stage in front of a group of people trying to teach them or, or to, you know, reach out to them through a sermon and have your own questions there and, and take a lot of flack for that. It's again, it's a perspective I think that we don't think about a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, because the majority of us are not pastors. The majority of us have not stood on that stage and preached and asked questions, you know? And so we haven't experienced that and we forget that they're people too. Exactly. And I, um, it's interesting because we, I, you know, whenever I think about religious trauma syndrome, I think of the danger of pastors. I think of religious leadership. I think of Jerry Falwell Yeah. to where I want to place blame on the institution when and then you have to understand it's also an interesting perspective for the pastor yes well i think i think that our our go-to is that we want to put we want to place blame on people when in reality we actually should be looking at the institution or the system itself and saying the system is set up to create this kind of environment that that i mean people are controlled by fear they're motivated by fear so if we use fear and indoctrination we can control people and, and I think we talked about this. I think Carl even brought it up that, you know, people don't go into the pastorate, the majority of them don't go into the pastorate going, I wonder how many people I can abuse and traumatize. You right. know, that's not what they're doing. They're actually trying to live out an ethic that they truly believe in. And again, they're, they also take on the idealism of I am a shepherd. It's my job to protect my flock. And so if you are a problematic member of that flock, then they have to cut you off to protect the rest. Right. You know, and so it's a very human response. And so, of course, we're angry with them because we see them as the one being abusive, but they are living out an ethic that they've been taught through assistant, uh, through systemic issues. Mm -hmm. So, again, that's why it's very difficult, especially if you've been hurt by a pastor. It's very difficult to try and stop and remember that there's another whole perspective there. Right. You know, and we need to because more and more pastors are actually asking a lot of questions now. Mm -hmm. I know they have like 
support groups yes. and all kinds. Yeah. It's almost like AA. They can go to these meetings without right. anyone ever telling anybody. Yeah, you can't. It's an anonymous thing. You're not allowed to use your names because we can't have it getting back to the church that I've started asking questions. Right. <laughs> because let's, and that's another thing. Because let's think about that. They're also dealing with a very real issue. Um, you know, I've often said that that being a pastor is a heart issue. I believe that that's a heart thing. It's a heart call. But the reality is, we've made it a vocation. And so many of these these men and women are actually drawing a paycheck for doing this, and their livelihood is on the line if they start asking questions. Right. They're, if they're excommunicated from their community, they've lost their livelihood. So, again, something to consider when we're talking about pastors going through this. I want to share one more clip because it paints the picture on how the church's actions when a pastor is questioning. Mm-hmm don't just affect the pastor, but affect the entire family. Right. And I hadn't even really, con- I mean, I know, I knew Carl. I mean, I knew Carl. I know Carl. He was right. my pastor. I know his son. I know his daughters. I know, I know where they lived. Right. They live in my hometown right now, which is strange. But let's, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. But let me go ahead and play one more clip. Okay. Anytime a pastor comes into a church, you're right. There is an environment that's already at play. There is a, a culture, if you will, that is already dominant. Mm-hmm. And so, again, judging what by what you said earlier, Carl, you're trying to fit into mm-hmm. that. And, and that is a difficult thing to do. I also yeah. think, and this is just my read on you, Carl. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but you have a tender heart and you have, you have a very loving heart and, and it gets crushed easily. And, and I think that you are very adept at hiding that, but I feel that often when I hear you talk about these kind of things. Well, I think we've said kind of openly all throughout the process, we didn't see any other way to go into ministry except open-hearted, you know, that to go in with, with all our heart. And I say this, all three of our churches had success at the church Seth is talking about. We had 140 children in a in a village of 250. We had 140 children on Wednesday nights with some of, of Seth's people leading worship, the youth leading worship, and, and, and some dynamic things going on, but the control factors of, of you know, people wanting to be in control mm-hmm. and wanting certain things to happen, Laura says this a lot, it was okay. We were the saviors for a while until, until that I, uh, my stubborn Oklahoma side came mm-hmm. out and said, we, we just need to go down this path. And certain people didn't agree with that and would go through back channels and start. Most of that energy went towards Laura and you know and people start talking to laura and you you know trying to use that relationship to get to me laura i'm so sorry yeah this is weird for me because this is like personal like normally i do these interviews and i don't know the church i don't know the people i know Mm -hmm. all of you i i had i i i was i'm completely unaware of that and that's okay i mean i i think about you know, because I always think about you and our son and, and your cousins and we all well, and you guys were all young <laughs> and, and we never, ever wanted to bring, and, and we never wanted to bring our children into it. 
And I think the sad thing for me is that our children saw it all. And, and, mm-hmm. and I didn't know that until they told us. And, and, you know, when you ask them about their faith, kind of where they stand with things, and if they say something like negative about faith or church, and you ask them why they will say, because we saw how people treated our parents. And despite it all, we loved, you know, you boys, like you were like our kids. I mean, you guys would come over right. and, and all hang out and play and stuff like that. And it, it was, it was amazing, but yes, I, we wanted to, we wanted to spare our children and even you and your cousins, we wanted to spare you guys from, you don't need to be, <laughs> you know, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah. I just wanted to point out about JD and Lily and Abby, like I, I, I never even would have thought that that they would have watched and then kind of deducted how people treat their parents and then as a result leave the faith themselves. Yeah. Kids are intuitive, you know. Yeah. I, they do recognize and see what's happening. You know, they may not have the words to put to it, but they know what it makes them feel, even if they're mm-hmm. very small. And so, yeah, there there's an impact on the entire family. Um, there was on mine. I mean. I can tell you that I think only one of my children still goes to church, you know, really? and we'll have conversations about God and they're still very open about their understanding of God and everything, but they don't want anything to do with the system anymore. So because they did see it, they did hear it. They, you know, it was hurtful to them too. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a big subject matter, Seth. Faith has a unique ability to grab hold of deep parts within ourselves. Yes. And when those things start to shake, when though when you start to question, you may start experiencing some some trauma-like symptoms. Yeah. In in, in ways that you may not have ever really realized uh, that might be affecting you the way that it is. Yeah. That's the whole point of religious trauma syndrome, and we're going to be focused on the enti- we're going to be focused on this for the entire month. Right. And as I mentioned, I created twenty pages of notes, which <laughs> need to now be limited. So clearly, uh, we have a lot to talk about. Um, so I want to thank you so much for listening to this first episode. If you are interested in our show, please feel free to check out our website. It's mental-podcast.com. You can find everything on that website. In fact. There is a lot of information on that website. Right. You can listen to, you can get the link to any podcast platform that we're on. You can also access uh, the link to Michelle's new book. You can also access our Patreon, our Facebook group, even our Marco Polo community. Um, I also have all of the books that are being used for this oh, series. Oh, good. I was going to bring that up. Um, so all of the books, there's three books I'm using. Um, in the notes and everything that we're providing. And so those three books are on the website as well as resources for um, their national resources across the United States. So if you're in the U.S., um, those resources may also be of help to you. Um, I don't think I'm missing anything else. Well, I think we have to bring up our hotline. We we have a hotline available. Uh, If you have questions, if you have questions, 
feedback if you have suggestions. We would love for you to give us a call or text us and let us know what you're thinking. Uh, that number is 314-690-5005. That goes to Seth. Seth takes care of everything. Um, but he will, he will bring that in. So again, if you have a comment that you'd like to share on an ongoing series, certainly do that. If you have a question or a subject matter you would wish to explore uh, for a let suggestion, me know. Let, yeah, us know. let us know. So. Also, I will note that we are now on TikTok. Now, Michelle right. is not on TikTok, no, but not. I am. <laughs> and so there's even a TikTok on the website as well. So it. you could go check that out. Also, I'm going to pull a Matthew DeSafano uh -oh. and a Keith Giles. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't <laughs> just listen to it. Go to Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast application that you're using. Give us a five-star review and let us know that you like the show. Uh, so we'll keep producing the content that you like. Until next week. Hi, welcome to your neighborhood pharmacy. Hi, I've got a prescription for diabetes test strips. How much is the copay? Well, it depends on your type of commercial insurance and factoring in your yearly spend, subtracting the deductibles, also depending on your monthly Ugh, allowance. Why can't there be a better option? Or you could try Contour Next test strips. A 35 counts only $19.99 over the counter and proven to be highly accurate. Go to contournext.com slash radio to see if over the counter strips are a more affordable option for you. Hmm, I think I'll try Contour Next. We conquer cancer. For the mom-to-be who is out of treatment options. For the doctor who has a brilliant idea but needs research funding. For the people who faced cancer head-on and climbed incredible heights while they were with us. For the children who celebrate the end of chemo. We conquer cancer for all who have been touched by it. Conquer Cancer accelerates breakthroughs in research and care for every cancer, every patient, everywhere. Join us at conquer.org.